Welcome to PDX Spotlight. I'm your host, Luke Neal. And on this episode, we're proud to present the Dandy Warhols live from the Crystal Ballroom in Portland, Oregon. On December 1st, 2018, we filmed the band's annual Christmas party, which they called the Big Gay Birthday Party in the Sky for Jesus. It was a good time for everybody in attendance. Uh, shortly after that, we had a chance to spend some time with Courtney and Zia from the band at their home base, the auditorium, for this interview. We hope you enjoy the episode.
Let's talk about the inspiration for the show at the Crystal. Uh, where did the theme come from for the big gay birthday party in the sky for Jesus? It's one of my favorite titles so far. Uh, yeah, some of them are easy. A country band asked to open and then you get Cowboy Christmas. And then other years, it feels like we've, I mean, we've done Bavarian Christmas already. So it feels like we were solidly out of ideas. And we've even done birthday, which I had forgot because now we've done so many. Uh, and the as I was thinking about it, I was picturing the easy stage props and the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus and the three kings. And, and I was the, like, and the flying spaghetti. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the Three Kings just seemed like really an outdated visual. And so then I thought, oh, Three Queens would be cool. And then that led to we always give a dollar of each ticket to an organization. And uh, so I reached out to a few, and there is the Portland chapter of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and they are these drag queen nuns and they come out and they support organizations as well. And uh, that led to SMIRC, an LGBTQ outreach that provides skill training, shelters, activities. Um, and so they were who we were given the money to and I asked if the uh, sisters would be the three queens to sing happy birthday to baby Jesus and if it would be okay if I called it the big gay birthday in the sky. And they were totally down. Right on. And we just went from there, and we made some good friendships with these organizations. We raised about 1200 bucks for Smirk, uh, and we got to have a big gay birthday party. That's killer. Yeah, it was incredibly fun. And, you know, they just having that sort of, uh, you know, intensity of, of, like, personal freedom and joy and, and beauty and invented beauty is just it, just, it just changes a room. Even when that room has 1,300 people in it, it it just elevates everybody's mood and it's just such a wonderful thing to be a part of, you know. Oh yeah, and then we were struggling to find a uh, at least queer-fronted band that would kind of complete the package in Portland. There there are plenty, but the, it wasn't the right like sound for our bill. And Uni, who's been opening up for us, has the perfect queer front. Oh, this dude is like <laughs> six foot four, so super model you know, bedazzled sequin body stocking and high heel boots and a 11 foot boa, feather boa. And he's just, he's fan He's like the other Marilyn Manson. He's like the, the negative photo the with bleached hair and, you know, and just shiny and sparkly. The positive. Yeah. Wow. And the band is, you know, they are brilliant. They're very sort of Beatles-y and, and, um, you know, guitar-driven, heavy vintage keyboard sounds, and they're 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 an absolute genius band. They're gorgeous people. <laughs> Overeducated New York, Brooklyn-y, you know, cool cats. That well, it's fortunate we were there to capture it. Like, yeah, it was really one of my rad. favorites. I thought it was the whole thing was fun. Was and playing old. brand new songs for the first time in Portland, we don't get to do that very often. Have it be the first time we've played a track. Yeah, we haven't done that in in decades but I mean, the whole thing just felt very old like real old school portland having portland the elvis open the whole show doing some christmas right songs. cardboard elvis open <laughs> yeah. still there still hanging you know he oh was part God. of the did street art scene of the early 90s did you see the cd he made 75 bucks at the merch booth uh it says 55 can't fans can't be wrong or something <laughs> <laughs> 
idea um, of maybe where some of the inspiration for the new record came from. One of my personal favorites that you've released recently is Forever. It's got like this classical meets synth uh, thing to it. Could you tell us maybe where you're pulling some inspiration from these days, sonically? I think that started as a very Dr. Dre, uh, you know, really Dre 2000 ripoff. And uh, then we got Thomas Lauderdale. So that started it? And yeah, that's a fathead. That's yeah. Brand, our drummer. That's one of his tracks. 
and he brought it in, <coughs> and uh, and I just thought, you know what, this actually this is like a 1950 rumba, and the most stylish artist on earth that knows more about mid-century music than anyone else and actually feels it on a psycho-sexual emotional level is Thomas Lauderdale. He is the last of the real deal, you know. The anyone else who can play that kind of music is probably extremely square compared to to Thomas. And so he came in and and his boyfriend Hunter Nowak started playing this incredible surrealist piece that, um, you know, in the late 1800s, I think it was probably Bela Bartok, uh, start, you know, was kind of the first powerhouse of, of auditory surrealism. But he was very angular and very aggressive. And then you had Eric Satie, who is the opposite, very dreamy. And then Ravel, who is, you know, a legend because of uh, Bolero. So he had this incredible masterpiece called the Ondine, and that's what Hunter played. Mm. And that's 1918, so it, it just had its, the end of its hundredth year of, of being a piece. And, a, and a, a really only classical heads are aware of this, mm. you know, kind of singular track. And, uh, and so that's what ends our record. That was on this piano right here? Oh yeah, awesome. that beat up, missing a lot of ivory, <laughs> perfectly in tune. <laughs> Beautiful, like expensive piece of junk. Hey, if they record well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, a lot of the sound is, um, you know, I don't really enjoy the sound of perfect instruments. So uh, I stuck a, a cheap microphone in a wine glass, laid it on the floor, and that, you know, gave it that kind of otherworldly, like, what is that? That's not a well mic'd p grand piano. Um, it is from maybe like, a thousand hertz down, which is mid-range down. Um, the low end is beautiful and stereo and, and warm and gorgeous, but the high end is clattery and brittle and very ghostly and antique -y.
inspired the track, how long you've had it in your pocket? Well, it's a, it's a true story. I, I, I lived in a small town in southwest Washington for maybe seven to eight years. And uh, I mean, it was real, real country. Like, you know, I got a membership at the little gym and they play country music at the gym. Like they're, they're in there sweating it out and working and they're to songs about drinking and being sad and you know your dog and your wife left you and what you what you find is you're in you know you you develop a peer group and and my peer group were 40 year old grandparents and that's that's the small town and and what was happening and what they they talked about a lot was how the internet had changed small town life in that um you know the guys would get online and look up you know gear for fishing rods and truck parts and you know compound bows and and that kind of thing and and the girls would look at Paris or New York or Hollywood and and then off they'd go so like relationships four years in they're supposed to be having kids because they're 18 19 22 years old and they're not she's out of here I'm gonna go do hair in New York City or I'm gonna go to Paris and backpack around France or whatever and uh, so this particular story I think she was gone for almost two years and came back, and they, they've got a couple kids now, and they're, wow. they're they're great. I changed the names, not their actual names, but uh, yeah, it's, it was a it, that song probably started maybe eight years ago. Wow! And it took me that long to sort of finish it, you know. But every, all of us have done so much recording on our own, and and playing on other people's records, and having our little side bands and projects and things that that were were all just really really easy and creative in the studio and it's uh, you know it, it, it just becomes one day hey if we just stop with that one song from earlier this year we have a whole record here we just got to finish these things and and uh, you know maybe if someone has got another song they want to bring in let's just do it now and that will call that a record and that'll be a document of our lives for the last two and a half years. Yeah, our workflow is pretty dialed in at this point. And I, of course, don't know how every other band builds their songs, but we have no specific layering of tracks. Like, there's no order. It's not, it doesn't always start with guitar. It doesn't always start with, once the, I guess, obviously, it typically starts with the guitar, but everything after that, you don't know who, it's whoever gets to it first with an idea. Mm. <laughs> and That's so, right. Sometimes the bass is the last thing to go on a song, which I know is fairly uncommon. That's usually considered one of the building blocks. Yeah. So I think that's neat about us. Yeah, we, we build songs like electronic projects, pretty much. Um, and then the job is to make sure it is sonically uh, very real. It's, it's a band. It's, it's people playing, and that's, that's what it is. So, you know, drums often go down last, so it's one whole take of a of a you know muscle and bone just clacking it away and humping the groove out and that's yeah this this record I just I wanted the drum sounds to be so you know shockingly real that other engineers would think this is because they don't even know what they're doing like how can they be a band for 25 years they don't even know what they're doing and then by the fourth song 
you know, I would imagine other producers or studio rats would be like, they're doing this on purpose. <laughs> like, this is, did they really do that? I think folks crave that kind of stuff these days. Mm, I hope so. Yeah, for real. Well, the record's getting, you know, great reviews and, and, and buzz. It's also in a, we're in a lucky time where nobody's really releasing anything fresh or amazing. Everyone's kind of going for genres, you know, you know, uh, pop, folk pop, folk R&B, you know, like, oh, let's have an R&B singer and a banjo in there and, you know, get the hippies and get the this and the, you know, or, or just straight up hip hop, R&B pop or psych rock, lots of furry, you know, Jonestown guitars. And there's just so many of the, so many bands in each, you know, clustered genre that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was easy for us to not, to not sound like anybody else. It was you spent a lot of time talking about the music. Let's talk about the visuals. You did a really cool thing last year uh, for the video of Be All Right. You shot a 360-degree VR video. Who came up with the idea? And uh, maybe give us uh, some look behind the creative process. Well, obviously, since we built this place, it's just been a constant. How are we going to capture this? And it's really hard to do. And then uh, our friend Kevin Moyer suggested the idea in a mass email to all the band and everyone that we, we work with like hey I've got this great idea 360 video virtual reality people can just take their phone and pan around and be in there with you so great you know he hooked us up with producers and people and camera rental and you know all that stuff and then he disappeared for a month and uh, slowly every producer he had in line and every person that was supposed to work with us on making this thing happen bailed out you can't do it it's just not gonna be it's not gonna work I, I, like I, I'm just too busy and this is just too much in it so uh, we just started calling friends the way the best way to get things done <laughs> and uh, and we hacked our way through it and we we did it you know it was supposed to be a robot carrying a camera with a, everything's special and perfect and this and that and we ended up with just like a friend with a with a, a tripod holding it above so if you look down you can even see a dude with long hair at the top of his head <laughs> it's like, you know it's like well it got done didn't it you know? yeah. and it's cool and it's it's great and it you know because we don't know what we're doing and and the virtual reality film look just the texture of it is so but ugly that we had to really crunch it down to get some depth and darkness and contrast and shadow and a bit of noir, film noir going on. But that also meant that if your phone or your, you know, eye product or whatever, your tablet uh, was more than about a year old, it was going to look like crap. So that is the downfall of the DIY, you know, we're going to do this super high-tech thing, punk style. Once it was done and we just, you know, every, all the big VR companies, I started getting emails, wow, man. And I ended up having a meeting, one of the dudes came to town, like, well, okay, yes, I'll, I'll meet you for brunch or whatever. And he pulls out the goggles like the actual VR goggles. So I'm, you know, sitting at Vsauce 
and we put the goggles on and looking around our studio at this experience and it's you know it's just amazing on the actual goggles so it, it, it was I you know we got told a lot by by these big VR companies you're the first ones to do this everyone thought if you move a VR camera because they're always stationary that you would make people sick they'd get dizzy they would throw up they'd fall down or you know of course they I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, just do it, you know, and, or do it and see, and then, oh, you get poo-pooed because everyone threw up. But <laughs> the, the point is to just do it. And yeah. I guess that's sort of like our, our always been our thing, you know. Uh, good luck on your tour. Congrats on the new record. And uh, thanks again for being on PDX Spotlight, ladies and gentlemen. Andy Warhol. Great, thanks.
We would like to thank the Dandy Warhols and the Crystal Ballroom for hosting us for this event. To find out more about PDX Spotlight, go to our website and be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at PDX Spotlight. Till next time, I hope you have a great day.